Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus, Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance, and Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine bars without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London Nootropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNootropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with Kagi. The aim of this podcast is to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. And it seems to be striking a chord. We've had some lovely messages from you all, some of which that I'll be sharing at the end of this episode. And I've created a Saturn Returns with Kagi Patreon page where I'll be sharing exclusive content and we can have conversations in a safe, cohesive space. Visit Saturn Returns with Kagi on patreon.com if you'd like to join our growing community. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP, so it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy! It was so addictive, like people like thinking that you looked good, like that in of itself was enough to be like motivated. Yeah. Then after a while I was like, I oh, know because actually is really not doing anything for me. Joining me in this episode is Anoni Forbat, who is an influencer, host of adulting podcasts, bookworm who hosts her own book club, and also a fledging comedian. But she first started gaining an audience when she was still at university and was documenting her weight loss and fitness regime. 
In this conversation, she reveals how not all was what it seemed and how social media can often portray a very different story to reality. But Anoni had the foresight to change course and I hope you'll find some takeaways because she kind of, as a 26-year-old, you know, I'm 31, This it's such a crucial transition and we're going to have Nora in a, in a second who's our astrological guide. He's going to be discussing about your lunar return that happens at 26 before your Saturn return, which essentially is what Anoni is going through. The focus at this time is a lot more on our emotional maturity. We start to explore what our true emotional needs are. We ask ourselves what gives us joy, what gives us mental peace, where do we want to live, what did we like to do as a child, what childhood issues do we have, what makes us feel safe, what makes us feel nurtured, and also where do we feel safe and where do we feel nurtured. When does our heart feel liberated and where does it feel repressed? It's really the initiation into emotional fulfillment and ultimately emotional maturity. We are asked to take charge of our own hearts and start the process of unconditional acceptance and love of self. Anoni and I hadn't actually met before this recording and you'll hear it's like two old friends having a good natter. We discuss the influence of social media and how that plays a part in crafting our identity and how this can be a double-edged sword and the sort of the world and the realm of the personal brand and ultimately it becomes about who's dictating who once we create that identity but it doesn't feel authentic to us anymore how do we disengage or how do we shift direction Anoni is only 26 and by this point she's already achieved quite a lot and is quite impressive and I think because she is so switched on she could really do anything that she put her mind to I love how she pivoted her career path and is now pursuing a more authentic version of herself. We, in this episode, discuss cancel culture, how social media as a realm for free speech has actually become a bit of a prison for the opposite. We also discuss capitalism, consumerism, feminism, all the big things, and kind of put the world to right a little bit. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so you're 26. I am. Yeah, I'm 31. I feel like it's a big chunk when a lot of shit goes down, especially your Saturn returns. So but you seem very together for a 26-year-old. I feel like I really was all over the shop. I do feel a lot more settled. But actually, it's funny you said that because I'm coming up to this junction right now where I was like loving life, like work was going so well. And obviously because of lockdown and everything changing, I'm suddenly like, I've lost a huge like spark. And I'm sure you come up with this in like creative industries where I'm just like, oh my God, I need to completely start from scratch again. Mm-hmm. And I'll have like a bit of like a, uh, not a breakdown, but like I'm like, this isn't working. Breakdown. <laughs> yeah. I think breakdowns are actually hugely important in creativity because they ignite something. Because when you were at university, you started up a fitness Instagram and that's how you got to where you've got now and kind of built this this brand, essentially. Yeah. Well, it's so funny, because I was actually talking to my friends about this other day, because I had another friend who's going through a difficult period, and they were laughing so much because I spin everything to be really positive. So I'll be like... a super positive person. Not necessarily super positive, but I'm really good at, like, looking back at bad things that happened, and I'm like, that's why this amazing thing happened. I'll literally, like, fabricate a story around it. And I think that's how I put things to bed. Mm-hmm. So I'm instead of, like, feeling, like, sad that something happened, I'm like, well, thank God that guy fucked me over, because that's exactly <laughs> why I got this thing. So I had this really 
awful relationship with this guy. It ended up being like quite like abusive, like physically. This was the one at uni. At uni. Ended up like going through a really rough patch, got really into fitness. But that would never have, ha- it genuinely wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had this like awful breakup. I was such a bad place. I had to go to a personal trainer. But I'd always had quite a bad relationship with food. And I wouldn't, I'm not saying anyone should do this, but because I went to such an extreme of getting so lean, I did like a bikini competition, it was mad. You really went. I really it. went for it. That, then I got that far and I was like, oh fuck, this really doesn't solve any of my problems. I thought that being thin would be like fixing everything. And then when I got there, finally made it to this like, couldn't be smaller if I tried. No, nothing was any better if anything, some things were worse. And that was like an amazing like, Oh, fine, okay, so I need to stop fucking, like, worrying so much about whether or not I've got, like, a back roll in my sports bra, which is, like, my <laughs> biggest worry. Like, every morning wake up and be like... <gasps> but I can relate to that, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will, in that thing of, like, in the demise of a relationship during a breakup, you think, I'm going to look so good yeah. that you're going to be so sorry that this is over. And to a degree, it does help, because it's a lot better, like, to go to the gym and be super healthy than it is to go the other way. However, there it does come a point where you're like, is this actually... Is this healthy or is it like another form of... Of numbing in a way. Yeah, and like, I guess, self-medicating in like a kind of... in a socially acceptable way. Because you're still getting like addicted to... And this is what I want to talk about, actually in a way that's not only socially accepted, but it's like encouraged and it's, you know, given a lot, like a lot of attention through social media. Whereas like internally what could be going on is you're berating yourself because Mm. you're like that person essentially has made you feel unworthy so we're going to put you on this like course of action to make you worthy and you're never actually going to get to that destination but we're going to make you feel like you are if you keep doing this every single day and then you're going to be you know gratified for it on social media and like given a career so it's like what kind of message is that sending you but that was the weirdest thing because I think I've spoken about this more like looking like zooming out as well and I was like wow it was like the minute I got to this more conventionally attractive version of myself and I was really small to the point where like if you look back now it's actually quite like I didn't look well but because to me I was so uneducated about what health was so I thought you know tracking my macros not drinking eating like a specific amount of food exercising twice a day I got up at six go and do like sprints in the gym then go back and train I'd be so tired I'd have to have a nap and then I didn't want to have sex I lost my libido yeah so like that's not like healthy then I was also like chain smoking the whole time but then I started to gain an audience and between being like a girl with like a normal body to a girl that was shredded, I went from being like, oh, she's like me to, oh, she's a fitness professional and knows what she's talking about. When I had no idea, it was nothing had changed, just my wow. like body fat. But the way people perceived me was, it's getting really long messages, like, how can I do this? Will you train me? So I literally became a personal trainer because I was like, I need to be able to reply. I can't reply to these messages if but I don't. But you actually went and learned. I did, I went and did a course. Because I, I think the danger in, in the world that we live in is like in nutrition and fitness is people actually don't go and learn. They just, you know, perhaps have an unhealthy relationship to food or fitness, but create this body that is desirable to the masses and then start you know creating these plans whatever and it's it's a bit dangerous it is and I don't I think maybe because my a lot of my family's are doctors and stuff so like everything has to be like really factually based so I think so they, like I've got to go I, I felt like I couldn't answer these questions I felt like it was and I would try to kind of like give advice but also I knew that I Didn't felt really out of my depth yeah but was it what you wanted to do or was it more that you, this was like a sort of a breakup 
thing that was getting you feeling good about yourself and then it just spiralled into so a career? the breakup was like the catalyst for it, but it was literally like my life changed. But yeah. I went to one of the most sporty schools in the country. I was really privileged and I did no sport. I would literally just run off and smoke and go into the engine and drink wine. So on that one sense, that was incredible because I went from being the girl that was like, <laughs> never did any sport to suddenly being this like, Instagram influencer who's like talking about fitness every day. So it's like, <laughs> that was mad. And, and also. People at school were like, really? Yeah, no, we, I think they really were like, what the fuck is she doing? Like, how has that happened to her? That's so weird. It was so addictive. Like, people like thinking that you looked good. Like, that in of itself was enough to be like motivated. Yeah. yeah. And then it then after a while, I was like, I oh, know, because actually really not doing anything for me. And then you sort of have shifted. Yeah, so when I finished uni, I went home and I broke my leg in two places in the gym. And I think that was like a massive thing where like, I couldn't train. And I suddenly was like, what am I actually going to be doing? And I started um, like talking on my Instagram more about general stuff and like got really into feminism and just completely kind of... I, w- I didn't have the excuse of just posting about fitness, even though I was still trying to do like press-ups with a broken leg. So, like, so in a way, that was something else that was ne- negative at the time but had a yeah yeah impact. and it and it was just all of these little things I think slowly by slowly I realized that um what I wanted to be doing wasn't focused on fitness even though I think it's so important I wouldn't you'd never catch me in the pub being like oh my god let's talk about fitness whereas I love talking about politics or like feminism but at the same time I would never have got an audience talking about what I'm talking about now and in terms of pivoting away from that how was that transition into going into the subjects that you actually do feel passionate about were it, people like why are you suddenly talking about this mm, and I'd been slowly drip feeding stuff but even at this point my Instagram was still very very fitness focused I lost loads of followers because they'd see me as a small blonde like fitness girl you can't just suddenly start talking about whatever you want to talk about because this is the interesting thing in the sort of double-edged sword of social media and creating like a personal brand is it's like you then become sort of beholden to your audience and then if you're not feeding them what they want they turn away from you. Mm. So then that keeps you sort of on a path that might not feel authentic to you anymore. Well, that was the hardest thing. So I really was struggling with it. And I was like, right, I really want to stop doing this. But that's taken like maybe two years to fully like get out of that. I feel like I'm very well established, not well established, but in what I'm doing mm-hmm. and in the work I want to be doing, if someone was going to contact me about writing a piece of writing or whatever, it would be about what I do now. Whereas for so long, it was still like, I got asked when panels talking about Fitness. You know, fitness. And I was like, I haven't spoken about that for ages. That's so. really good that you were able to make that change because the idea of a woman's body, even though the conversation around it has shifted perhaps into a more positive way, it's still, that's where the focus is. And I know it myself personally, like if I put up something about my body and say it's about like intuitive eating or whatever, am I still seeking validation? Like... What's really the motivation behind that? And why does that get more engagement? And why are people sort of so obsessed with it, I guess? So this is a really interesting phenomenon, which I find fascinating. I used to post workout videos and then I actually stopped because I was like, I hated it. It made me me feel like I didn't want to train. I don't want to film my body from loads of angles. I found it quite invasive. And then I'd be like doing that exercise 50 times to get the perfect squat angle so I didn't have the infamous back fat under my bra or whatever it might be. And I was like, this is just ridiculous. Like, you don't need to watch my workout video. It's the same as the other 150,000 girls that are posting workout videos. I'm going to stop. Everyone will be like, please, I love your workout videos. I'm not, I'm not, I do the same, like, really basic, like, weightlifting exercises all the time. Like, you're not going to see anything new. 
And I started to realise that when I got into fitness, I used to watch these women working out, but I wasn't watching the workout, I was watching their bodies. Their bodies. And I would watch it and then go to the gym because I'd be so motivated by how lean they were. Mm-hmm. So I'd sit on my bed and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym, I don't want to go to the gym. And I'd watch them and then I would go and do my workout. But I think fitness on Instagram became so synonymous with aesthetics. It's it was so messy, I don't really know what it is. So even now I'll still post pictures where I will know, I'm like, I want to post this, so I think I look hot. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm doing it with an active knowledge you know the intention yeah I'm like I'm rather than this, trying to guide rather than trying like to pretend that I'm like yeah <laughs> this oh but then then on the other hand when it's your work sometimes I would think like well if I post a really good picture of my abs now then people are going to read the caption and it'll get better engagement and I'll get more followers and that helps my work so there's so many things like intertwine there but I think whether or not your body is conventionally attractive and very fitnessy or lean or whether you're talking about embracing your roles or your cellulite mm-hmm. or whatever it is we're still just talking about what women look like. And I still think about my body all the time. And if I'd seen myself now, I would have thought I was fat, whereas I think I look great all the time now, mostly. And I think now that I'm engaging in conversations- Would you and, say you had like a voice in your head that was kind of like <clears throat> motivating you, but at the same time being like, you're never going to be good enough? Well, it's so weird. And I think today's people like this, but when you're like, because you're so focused, especially if like you compete, which is the most ridiculous thing, so you're literally being judged on how much body fat you have. But when you're in that headspace, you constantly think you're fat. Like, unbelievable. Whereas, like, I was tiny. Because you just, that's all you're thinking about. Whereas now, I've got so many things to do. And then I'm like, oh, what am I going to wear? Do you restrict yourself with anything? No, not at all. And that's amazing. Because I used to be one of those people who was like, oh, I'm gluten intolerant. And I'm lactose intolerant. But you weren't really. I wasn't. But I made myself because I didn't used to eat them. Like, the food, it wouldn't even last me till, like, 10 a.m. now. It was so bad. It was just well, how much no you were food. Yeah, it's like nothing. And training twice a day. I don't know how I did it. I mean, it's great that it put you on the path and you are where you are now, but it's interesting how the facade of social media can create this warped image. But I think back then it was the clean eating um, movement. Like everyone thought that was fine. <laughs> which is kind of like, also, it's also orthorexia, which is like guys saying, I mean, eating disorders. It's as like an like obsession with healthy, healthy eating. Like no one, it was just it. so normal. It just wasn't like a problem. It was so weird. In fact, it was actually encouraged yeah. and championed. But it's like when, have you ever ordered like a pair of jeans online because you think you're going to look like the girl that's wearing them in the picture? Like I'd, <laughs> I'd order them and then I'd be like, why does this not look like it's on the photo on hand? It's like, it's so, that's how simplistic like social media is. Like we see someone selling something. And we think and that we're that's like, the whole okay, story. Okay, so that's how I attain what they have. And I think there's a responsibility on the part of the consumer. I think that we have to have our wits about us a, a bit. I agree in terms of, we don't regulate it for ourselves. And just because it's relatively new and, you know, the likes of you and I can use it as it is for our work, but also I justify a lot that isn't work. Do you think you treat Instagram differently to your friends who perhaps don't have an account with the public audience? Yes and no. I think it's relative to the individual. So if I have however many thousand, that's what I'm used to and what's normal to me. So my degree of, like, engagement and interaction and blah, 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 is relative to Mm. that, and that's normal to me. Whereas to a friend that might have, I don't know, 800 followers, her interaction and engagement and what she posts about is relative to that. So I almost think that having it as work is a bit of a safety blanket because one, like I know people are gonna like it because there's always gonna be some of my audience who are gonna like engage with anything that I post. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm almost less self-conscious about it. 
It's because, like, your friends won't like your picture. Like, that's fucking rude. But, like, your audience who like to engage with your work... Okay, well, what, you know I, what I think mean? this boils down to, mm. and it's an interesting thing, is that, like, you must feel very supported by your community and your audience in what you are discussing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And back then, I would really, like, spill my guts. And I think it was a really positive thing. And actually, I, I loved doing it at the time. But now that I've got a bit older, I'm like... It is me, and I'm really honest, and I learn a lot about my community, but I'm trying not to talk so much about me, and I try to talk about a topic or a thing. That also gives me another layer of, like, safety, I think. And when you're exposing yourself in whatever way that might be, and people are then feeding off that yeah. and asking for and more, it's like, where do you draw the line? Yeah, and people can't pick me apart as much. I've kind of worked out how to use social media in a way that I feel isn't as destructive as it could be, but that's taken me years to figure out mm-hmm. because I think it can be really dangerous for some people because as a creator in vertical commas, you see behind the scenes, you know how the photos are taken. I know what angles make people look good because I take pictures of myself all the time. But to the Whereas to someone who's show, they wouldn't. Yeah, so I think that it's actually worse if you're a consumer than if you're a creator. And I'm still... Because well, you're, you're trying to represent that image too to your... 100 followers or whatever is that what you mean yeah I guess it's like I know what my day-to-day life is and it's really not that glamorous half the time but if you're watching my story what is your day-to-day life <laughs> so I wake up every morning normally around 6 15 um and then I have a coffee and then I go to the gym and then I come back and go through my to-do list oh as in you start writing your yeah to-do list the day. sometimes I write it the night before but I like doing it all in the morning like before I've got all my emails I kind of have different days. So Monday normally is my like full admin, get everything done. Tuesday, I like to come out and do if I've got meetings or podcasts or things, I, like, I do like doing them on Tuesdays. And Wednesdays again, I've got like, I'll do meetings. And then Thursday again, I come back and then I'll do content creation, content plans. I, I have a You're PA. You're quite organised though. I am, only because my boyfriend is so, I used to be the most disorganised person. I'm like, the most disorganised person and I used, ever And I used to think it was like my part, like part, part of me of, Yeah, that's creative. what I'm like. I'm like, it's like who I am. I'm yeah. an artist. So, so, <laughs> and now I'm like, it's actually making my life so, so difficult. This is what happened to me. So I used to like be like, no, I'm so laissez-faire. I just do whatever <laughs> I want. And like, I don't give a shit, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'll always be the girl that's like, yeah, I'll come out with you on a Tuesday evening. And now I'm like, no, I can't go out in the week. So what happened was my boyfriend's so, so organised and he gets up every single day at 6am and he does, goes to bed at 10pm. We're in bed asleep by 10pm. It's so much better. It's just so organised. And I'm still not quite so as good at So get a him. boyfriend that's really... I mean, to be fair, I've actually said seeing someone he made me get that whiteboard. <laughs> and he actually came over the other day and I hadn't used it yet and he wrote, use me on it. I was like, I will. And it's so basic because it's all those things you want to rebel against when you're younger. And actually... 100%. You just feel so much better. So sleep is like the main thing. So yeah. my life is so much healthier than it was back when, when I was doing this like fitness thing. So I'd go out really late. I'd be smoking loads. Now I don't exercise anyway near as intensively but I get always get really good night's sleep I drink more water than anyone you've ever met I eat like full nourishing meals but that could be anything from like a nourish bowl to a pizza or whatever and I think I'm like the healthiest I've ever been mm. but Sounds it's like, like you've got good balance it's it's on. it's really that like it's come full circle but it's so funny because you know like if you compare I don't know a bikini picture of me this year to five years ago someone would be like well she's there she's healthy but it's not it's not true. It's not true. Well, me. health and aesthetic aren't <clears throat> in, as intrinsically no. linked as we think. No. And it goes, like, all the way across the board. So, like, there might be people in a fatter body who people naturally would assume are unhealthy. That actually That are actually are really healthy and, like, the skinny person next to them does coke every night and smokes those. 
Follow them. <laughs> That's really interesting what you say about the like the being organised thing and that. I'm still... Because it really impacted your life. Oh, my God, in, like, every sense of the word. And I felt it in lockdown. There was a point where I kind of, like, I gave up. In like, like, I was like, can't... I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted to be doing with work. So I, I've never... Yeah, you said that. In what sort of capacity? Well, so I do my podcast, and this year I run a book club, which is amazing. It's so fun. And my plan was I was going to tour it because everything's in London and everyone's like, never... And nothing ever happens in, like, Manchester or Edinburgh or Glasgow. So the plan was I was going to do a live podcast in all these cities and a book club. I did my first comedy last year, my first stand-up set, and I wanted to wow. So I'm writing a stand-up show at the minute. Stop it! But I wanted to start gigging, and I couldn't do that. The only thing that I did was, like, sit, I was like, need to get better at saving money, and that's the only thing I did because I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> and then the more I started to learn about money, I became, like, really fascinated by it, like, to the point where I'm, like, so interested, I want to learn how to invest. I don't have, like loads of money to be investing but I want to start I want to have mm. because also I want financial freedom you've got to put your foot in the door somehow so yeah and I want to feel like I don't know say anything did ever happen to me or I ended up in a there's so many women in domestic abuse situations that they can't leave because of they're, they're, they're financially controlled yeah so like especially as women to be really financially literate is a very important thing I think but it's hard but also it's still <clears> and <throat> this has been something that I've noticed in my own life it's like romanticized this idea of a man being able to take care of you, you know. And there is something, like, nice in that, but also there, there is a, a power dynamic at play. Yeah. And if you don't actually have any understanding of your finances or collectively in a partnership and you don't really know, like, if you have any rights and stuff like that, it can get really tricky. I'm kind of the opposite. I always want to pay for everything, but I think it's because my mum had me and then stopped working and now my she's, like in that position where she's got no real freedom because she hasn't worked for it, so none of it doesn't feel like her money's hers. Mm-hmm. My mum always talks to me about it, and she's like, you don't understand. Talk about feminism all the time, but obviously I'm a white privileged woman, so it's not so much to do with... I'm very privileged. But she was like, when I was younger, like, the freedoms you have and the stuff you can do, like, never take that for granted. She's like, it's unbelievable. I know. Because my mum is literally, like, a pretty hardcore feminist. And we were even having a conversation last night about it. She's like, you don't realise how much is changed already and obviously there's still a long way to go but like you know it wasn't that long ago when we couldn't even vote <laughs> and actually <laughs> or like women weren't allowed passports without a signature from their husband up until like up until I think honestly it was like 20 years ago in Australia <laughs> something insane so I'm actually so funny I'm currently just reading this book um it's called Difficult Women by Hannah Lewis and it's a History of Feminism in 11 Fights. And the first fight she, she talks about is the fight for divorce, then it goes on to the vote. And it talks about a lot how young feminists now, we often get in fights with, like, the older generation of feminists, especially when it comes to trans... There's lots of things where we disagree, but we've only got this far and become so progressive because all of these women before us who were really problematic did all this stuff. So, like, Coco Chanel was, like... Um, everyone lauds her as being, like, amazing, but she also was like an advisor to like Nazis, like she she would like pass over information and like, and so now it's really interesting with really young progressive feminists because we're so like, if you step one toe out of line or you say like one thing wrong, you're canceled kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, we've lost that room for for humanity. So it's interesting because I kind of agree we've and I disagree. That. that often the arguments get really convoluted because we're being so pernickety about how to do things perfectly correct and I think that's kind of we're, we're coming at a loggerhead so I'm really starting to wonder like if this needs to because I'm part of that really progressive and vertical like my whole podcast is about it maybe like 
I need to be a bit more patient if there's, say, J.K. Rowling is doing tweets which I think are personally quite transphobic. Like, maybe I need to really, like, listen to what she's saying, wonder why she's got there and... Okay, if we're going to go into this, <laughs> I think that everyone, like, there's what's put out on social media and stuff like people are super fast now to just jump on the like black and white of that's transphobic or that's like misogynistic or that's anti-feminist or whatever that might or that's racist as if that gives people like a stronger identity in in the conversation but it doesn't actually and I think that we're lacking an ability to really sit back and observe like multiple truths exactly there are always multiple truths and, in a conversation and it's exactly that like i got into a really interesting debate with someone who have really different political views with like not that long ago and that actually also made me think like that we couldn't have had the conversation on twitter because on twitter you're literally not allowed to even be seen engaging with someone but do you not think this actually goes against like everything that social media is supposed to do in terms of freedom of speech that we're supposed to be living in a time where we can express ourselves but actually it's creating a complete counter well it is kind of about free speech but it's about money fundamentally yeah so it's constantly trying to sell us stuff so the more that we're engaged the more like shocking something is the more that we react to it if something's really nuanced like no one gives a shit that ties into what we're saying about the body image Mm. thing it's like if you put up something that's essentially shocking in whatever in whatever way that is that is going to cause more of an effect than something that is like nuanced and quite, I don't know, middle of the road. Yeah. And I think that like, this is the problem that I have with social media. It's kind of why like, I'm, that's why I love doing the podcast. I'm like, can have a chat. And there's so many things in this that we've said and we've like fleshed it out. It hasn't been like a fully formed idea. Whereas if you go to social media, you have to go to it with, with like a fully, a formed, idea. fully formed idea, which can then be like picked apart because it's written. But then it's funny because I'm like, well, I'll just stop. But it's given me my career and I'm so grateful for it. Like the other day, I was so jealous. My boyfriend's like, I'm just going to delete Instagram. I don't see the point in having it. And I was like, oh, that's so mean because I can't. Well, because you sort of become slightly a slave to it. Yeah, you can't like... You... Expression. There was one point when like everything was down to Instagram. Like if Instagram disappeared, I would have no job. That would be mm. gone. Everyone now wants to have a massive Instagram following. And I don't want people to feel like that because actually when you have it, it's not, you're not like... I'm so glad. Well, it's the same thing as pursuing fame in and of itself. Mm. It's like an empty vessel, really, unless it's the byproduct of something, like a talent, an ability. When you when you did, like, Made in Chelsea... Yes, yeah, so that was, did, like, did, did an you, empty vessel. Did you love it? Did you want to be famous or did you just happen to be end up being on the show? I definitely, if I'm completely honest, had an appetite for fame because I thought it would bring me a sort of validation that would bring me some sort of peace, I guess. Of course it didn't. Um... And it just ended up reflecting like an internal an internal turmoil that I had because like it just life was insane. And when things happen that fast, like it was that kind of overnight success, when you become to a degree public property, that comes at a huge price because you actually haven't developed any sense of self, you know, and I found that incredibly difficult. In a similar way to I I'm sure how you experience like when you built up a certain persona on social media that suited the narrative and the story you had going on at the time, mm. but then you felt this need to shift. And I found it very difficult, and I still struggle with it, to shift, because it's like the perception of you almost becomes this monster that's, like, greater than yourself. But that's made me terrified as well. I think, like, do I actually... Because I'd love to be a presenter, I'm like, do I? Like, would I really want that level of scrutiny? Like, everything that happened with Caroline Flack. I know. There's a dark side to it. I think you have to have an incredibly strong sense of self Mm. and community around you and family and friends because it, it attracts, like, all sorts of darkness with it if it's 
if it's not monitored, I think. And the interesting thing about the public property thing is people, and you get this on social media, is people think that you've made a choice and so you deserve that dark side. You deserve the vitriol and you deserve the judgment because you're in the public eye. And I find that such a weird payoff because actually it's like fame and money can give you so much privilege. But I look at lots of people who are famous and have lots of money and I think I would hate to be you. Like, I'd hate to be Kim Kardashian. I can't think of anything worse. But you also realise, as you get older, that, that does, it doesn't make you happy. It, like, creates a facade... Yeah. ...that then is sold through the media as happiness that makes people, like, buy products and face it. Yeah. yeah. But it's not actually meaningful. It's hard, isn't it? Because I agree with you and then I think, like... If we really believe that's true, then I really shouldn't be doing ads on Instagram for any kind of product, you know? Because mm. it's like feeding, but then is there any such thing as like fairness under capitalism? Like, because I guess, unless we oh, were going to go and exclusive concepts. unless we were going to go live in like a commune, we guess, I guess everyone is feeding into that system, but we're just doing it in a front facing mm-hmm. way. I always get into these existential crises, but <laughs> I can see you are getting into a, a crisis about it. I know exactly what you mean, and it is, you know, it's like. You know, we're privileged people talking about this kind of stuff and yet we are feeding into it in our own way for our own benefit. So it is a sort of double-edged sword, but I think it's important to just have a degree of responsibility for, like, whatever you are putting out and and the why behind it. I do think as well, I think what we don't talk about enough, which is what we spoke about earlier, though, is we're all creators and consumers in some ways because Mm -hmm. even if you've got 100 followers, if your profile is open you are in some way like an influencer. Like it it kind of, it's not really that. Influencing your friends. Yeah, your friend. Like, and I think that we forget that. And actually the more. You know what this kind of boils down? It's like personal sovereignty. It's like how able are we to navigate things for ourselves? Yeah. Or how much are we going to seek guidance from Mm. external sources? And I think social media is just such an example of that. It's like, if I do that, if I follow that, if I do this, like I'll be happy. And I mean, even to think like, if I go back to when I was, 15 you said like in x years time most of you will be spending (laughs) x hours a day looking at pictures of strangers on the internet I'd be like no way (laughs) but for some reason that feeds into the thing that we have some sense of security but what do you think from a sort of philosophical (laughs) perspective on why there is such an obsession with social media well I think first of all it was designed to be addictive so literally like neurological reaction to it like hardwiring yeah it's just designed to, like everyone who works in silicon valley if you ever listen to a talk like they don't let their children use social media yeah, no. like, like no way and then i think the other thing is community like everyone lives far away no one can afford to get anywhere there's no such thing as community no one's religious so what do you have at the end of the day like when you're living in a tiny flat that you can't really afford and dopamine hit off the phone yeah it's like (laughs) the cheapest crack you can get and everyone has a phone so I think I think it literally is like that is what it is god that's quite a sobering thought isn't it it is fucked and it's and when you think about it so I noticed my boyfriend and I really make a conscious effort like we're out for a meal like not to like have have your phone in your bag but we'll do it sometimes we're having dinner and I will be in the middle of eating dinner with them and I just pick my phone I'm like what am I (laughs) rank what do I need right now why do I need anything more than just being sat here with you yeah it's about self-regulating really isn't it and being responsible because it's not going anywhere so I think it's just about monitoring one's intake well it's not going anywhere but this is I find this so interesting you know the youngest median age on Instagram is 24 because all the young people use like TikTok so Instagram's actually like 
losing itself in some ways because it's like that's interesting it's like an aging population because <laughs> we grew up with it so that was our like tiktok, TikTok. yeah and I've luckily I thought about starting TikToks so it's really a fuck and I was like, I don't even want to know. So I'm gonna have offensive. to take a long, hard, good look at myself when I start doing like TikTok dance They're, like, videos. So fashionable <laughs> and so cool. And I'm like, I don't wanna I don't need to know. I've got enough pressure from like women my own age. I don't need to be stressed out by like some 14-year-old. <laughs> Oh, it's very got, like, true. Best clothes. All right, well, I think we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you um, for having me. I love talking to you. I love talking to you too. And we'll have you back soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode with the Noni because I really enjoyed having it and listening back. There were a lot of takeaways from me, but, you know, to have that self-awareness around social media is something that isn't going anywhere. I recently watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix And it really opened my eyes to the reality of what and how we are consuming information. There's an amazing quote in it that says, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And I think it's something that we should just start self-regulating, being mindful of when you're going on it just to numb out and how much you are comparing. Because as you will probably gather from this conversation, all is not what it seems. Through this podcast, one of the things that I really hope you'll gain as a listener is this idea of personal sovereignty. And I think Anoni is a a great example of someone who has really taken the reins of her own life and is guiding things in the direction she wants to go in. And I think that's really fantastic. You can find me on Instagram at Kaggy's World and Anoni at O-E-N-O-N-E. Also, if you'd like a reading with our astrological guide for the season, Nora, please find her at Stars Incline. This podcast has grown through word of mouth, so please continue to share it with your friends or anyone that you think might find it useful. It would also mean a lot if you are enjoying it to leave us a review on Apple because this helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. So here's a voice note from a fan down under. I am absolutely loving Kagi's new podcast, Saturn Returns, and all the insights into astrology that I have always had an interest in, but never really investigated deeper. Although I am only 22 and have definitely not reached my Saturn Returns, the topics of discussion are so insightful, interesting, and just fun. And um, it's just a comforting and peaceful podcast to listen to on my Monday afternoon walks here in Sydney. Emily from Sydney, thank you so much for your lovely words. And please do check out our Saturn Returns with Kagi Patreon page if you'd like to join our growing community. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Deborah Dudgeon and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. This podcast has grown through word of mouth, so please continue to share it with your friends or anyone that you think might find it useful. It would also mean a lot if you are enjoying it to leave us a review on Apple because this helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. And please do check out our Saturn Returns with Kagi Patreon page where I will be sharing exclusive Saturn Returns content for the Saturn Returns community. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this journey. Until next time, remember, you are not alone. Goodbye.